Hello and welcome to another episode of AM Rush Sports, an AM New York podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Eric Samulski. Today we are talking lots of baseball. So we've got our baseball beat writers on for you. Uh, Joe Pantorno, who covers the Mets for us, and Christian Arnold covers the Yankees. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Doing well, thanks. Happy to be on, ready to talk some baseball now that uh, this is the only big four sport in action. Yeah, it is, because hockey ended last night. So, Joe, and I know you guys both cover hockey, so I guess the real question is just with, with Colorado having won the Stanley Cup, did the right team win? I know my father-in-law would say no, uh, but I'm curious, Joe, what you think about that. Um, well, considering I picked the Colorado Avalanche before the season started to win the Stanley Cup, I will say the right team won. Um, and that is where my bragging will end because I had them beating the New York Islanders. So I guess we can say my preseason p- picks were just mediocre. Uh, I nailed the Stanley Cup winner. The Eastern Conference winner, I had, uh, they didn't even make the playoffs this year. So um, I've had better years picking, but this is where the Avalanche were always supposed to be. Uh, They were supposed to be here last year, too, uh, and they came up pretty darn short. And they still managed to do it this year, despite having enormous question marks and goals. So kudos to them. Yeah, Christian, I I think, you know, most people know the Lightning have had a a pretty impressive run of success over the last few years. But Colorado has been the better team during the season, right? I mean, this should have been our expectation. Yeah, I mean, this was this was probably the toughest team the Lightning have faced in a cup final in the last two years. You know, you look at last year when they won against Montreal. Montreal was basically only in the cup final because of the way the NHL had kind of lined up their division. So, uh, you know, that was pretty much the Islanders or uh, Canada, uh, the Lightning last year would have won the cup regardless of whoever came out of there. And then again, playing Dallas. Dallas was a good team two years ago, but certainly, um, you know, didn't match what the Tampa Bay Lightning had that year either. So it, it, it was, it, it was the toughest opponent that the Lightning have seen in a couple of years in, in a cup final, I should say anyway, like I said. So I think that at the end of the day, Tampa Bay has played so much hockey Colorado was so good, even with some of the question marks that Joe kind of alluded to, Colorado was always kind of the favorite. And I think if you're a New Yorker, too, you were kind of pulling for Colorado with the New York Islanders hockey, local hockey connection, Devontae's, who had been a member of the Islanders for a couple of years and really made his mark and, and helped get the Islanders back to relevancy on, on the defensive side. Uh, to see him win a Stanley Cup last night was pretty awesome as well, if you're, if you're a local hockey fan. So, Christian, let's, we'll ask one follow-up. Stanley Cup question because I know that a lot of New York fans are thinking the Rangers should have been in the Stanley Cup. I mean, you know, they kind of had that series against the Lightning before a little bit of, you know, an epic collapse. Would the Rangers have had any shot in this Stanley Cup? <laughs> no, I don't think they would have. I think it would have been a really great story to see them get to the Cup final, see a New York team in a championship round for the first time in God who knows how long. But I mean, Colorado would have beaten a very talented Ranger team, but it's still a very young, inexperienced and likely tired team that would have had to, you know, was going seven games in a ton of series this round. So it would not have been a uh, pretty picture. Think of, think of the Kings Rangers series a couple of years ago in the cup final, it probably would have mimicked that a little bit. The Rangers may have gotten one win, but it, it was not going to be a pretty series. Joe's nodding along. So I'm <laughs> assuming he agrees. I, I agree with the gentleman sweep sweep sentiment. It, yes. it would probably been five games. I would say 
at most. Um, it's weird to think that the Rangers Stanley Cup appearance was eight years ago now. Um, that's time's flying, boys. Yeah, time's been weird over the last few years. Uh, so yeah, eight years. I did not. I did not expect that number. Yeah, um, we're gonna have more Rangers and Islanders coverage for you uh, during the upcoming week. Obviously, we have you know NHL free agency getting started here um, in the beginning of July. So we will cover some potential free agent targets for both teams. We'll be doing that um, on our website, which obviously you can check out, which is uh, amny.com slash sports. So that's our AM New York sports coverage site. And we'll be hitting you up on the, on the podcast with all that information as well. Um, we are going to dive in right now to some baseball. Um, we're going to start with the Yankees because the Mets are off today and uh, we're just going to start with the, with the Yankees. Also the Yankees dramatic comeback win the Mets, not so much on Sunday. Um, <laughs> uh, but instead of starting with the positives, Christian, I want to talk wow. to you uh, about Nestor Cortez getting right into um, the controversial stuff. I yeah. Like we're it. just going to, we got to get it. We got to give the people information that is uh, usable and accessible and important for them you know, in, in the coming months with the both of these teams really making a push toward, the, A, the playoffs, but also obviously the World Series is the larger goal. Um, you know, Nestor Cortez is a great story last year uh, and then came out this year and kind of seemed to tell people that he was for real. He was pitching incredibly well. Uh, he's slowed a little bit in June. So far in June, he has a 415 ERA in 26 innings. Uh, batters are hitting 255 against him with a 490 slug, which is not atrocious, but not what he was doing earlier in the year. And the strikeout rate has fallen down to 22%. Uh, in this game on Sunday against the Astros, he went five innings, gave up five hits, three earned runs, two walks, seven strikeouts. So again, nothing, nothing horrible, but has the early season magic worn off a little bit? Is this version of Nestor Cortez probably the real version of Nestor Cortez? I think it's probably somewhere in the middle of what we're seeing right now and what we were seeing earlier in the season. I think that like the Yankees in general, the logic was going to say that they were going to come back down to earth just a little bit at some point. Also, you're seeing them starting to play a bit tougher teams now, you know, not to discredit the Angels and, and the Cubs and, you know, some of these other teams that were coming through the Bronx and the Yankees were seeing early on in the season. Now you're hitting a stretch of the year where you're seeing Houston a lot. You know, they just played Toronto. They played Tampa Bay. These are all teams that are competitive in the AL and they're going to be the ones you're going to be um, kind of battling with when it comes down to the closer to the end of the season. And some of these teams you'll likely see in the postseason, right? The Houston series basically is going to be what, if everything tracks the way we're, we're expecting it to, Houston should be, the team you see in the ALCS, it's if you're the Yankees and you're trying to get to the World Series. So, um, you know, everyone's kind of coming back down to earth just a little bit. And I think that that kind of goes with Cortez, who, like you said, he still pitched a good game yesterday. He did give up, you know, a couple runs. And to see uh, Altuve hit that first pitch home run right out of the gate was kind of a little bit of a, a deflating moment for the Yankees. But they stuck with it, right? This is a, a Yankees team that has managed to kind of um, – really find a ton of different ways to win some of these games. So Cortez coming back down to earth a little bit. He's showing a little, a little humanity, I guess, if you will. Um, but I don't think it's anything to concern yourself about. I think like everything that happens, especially in a 162 game season, there's going to be some ebbs and there's going to be some flows. And, you know, he's kind of finding that middle ground, I think at the moment, you know, you're going to see him kind of come back and, and figure it out a little bit. It probably as some of these starts continue to go through the rest of the year. 
Um, I, I don't think the magic's wearing off. I just think there's that that natural progression of, all right, he started super high, and then you're going to kind of come back down to the mean a little bit. Yeah, and obviously we, we know that, you know, his stuff isn't overpowering. A lot of what Cortez does is get by on deception, right. playing with hitters, timing, things like that. The more then hitters get accustomed to him, the harder it is to then, you know, really kind of uh, uh, throw off their timing, get by with that deception. Uh, Christian, the other concern I have for Nestor Cortez is 93 innings is his career high. And that was last year. Um, He was a reliever before coming to the Yankees. He was actually a reliever with the Yankees in 2019 when he was Mm -hmm. here the first time. Um, So he's never thrown more than 93 innings. He's at 79 right now. Do we think it's reasonable to expect that, especially with Domingo Herman coming back, that the Yankees may try to find ways to limit Cortez's innings so that he can be reliable and usable for them come the playoffs? I think it's a great question. Aaron, Aaron Boone has sort of kind of played uh, things a little close to the vest when it comes to some of his pitching decisions and, and some of, of where he's going to go with the rotation and everything like that with so many guys finally starting to come back. I think it's early on. Um, I could see that being the case, especially as we hit you know July and August and they want to really – save some guys for September in that late playoff push. So I could see it happening. Um, but at the same time, I think it's kind of going to be dictated by what is the situation with the Yankees bullpen, right? You have Herman coming back at a certain point. Um, you know, are all this Chapman's going to come back at a certain point too relatively soon, you know, Clay Holmes is going to change a little bit in his, his positioning with, with where he comes into games. It doesn't sound like it's going to be the ninth inning every game anymore. Um, you know, with Chapman coming back. So I think, Boone is kind of going to strategize with how deep can he, he go with his bullpen with some of these guys that these, these relievers that are coming back as well, that'll play a part into it. Um, when it comes to those, those, you know, July, August games where you kind of have that luxury. Now, if you have some more of those arms in the pen that can go a few, few extra innings and um, you're not as, you're not as hampered by the injuries that the Yankees have been through the first couple months of the season. So that'll be a big boost too. And that'll certainly help guys like Cortez and others in that starting rotation, maybe not have to go seven innings, which I think the Yankees kind of were averaging for the most part through the, through the start of this year so far. Yeah. And there's, you know, if you, if you look down in triple a, uh, there's not a lot of help coming from the rotation. Uh, so some of the names we we have heard before with the Yankees, uh, you know, Davey Garcia has a 10.38 ERA so far this year in AAA. Um, Louis Heal, who's currently hurt, um, also has a 7.89 ERA currently this year in AAA. Um, I, I think the names, if, if Yankee fans want to keep an eye on some names, we talked in our prospects article about J.P. Sears, uh, who's a left-handed pitcher, uh, currently has a 183 ERA in AAA, um, and he's pairing that with a 33.6% strikeout rate. I think Boone um, has also mentioned that he could potentially be a, a spot start guy. Um, and then uh, Ken Waldachuk is another guy, a 24-year-old lefty who started this year off in AA and so far in 30 innings in AAA has a 270 ERA uh, with a 33.1% strikeout rate. So there is, there are some lefties in AAA and you could kind of make the lefty for lefty if they want to, you know, if Cortez has a phantom IL stint or, or needs to kind of go to the bullpen or something to, to limit the innings so he can be back at the end of the year. Um, speaking of IL stints, Joe, we're going to talk about the Mets starting rotation. Oh, do you have some time? 
Uh, so, well, we've got some good news on the horizon, correct? We have some updates or, you know, some information about po- potential returns. Yeah, it, it appears that Max Scherzer is initially it wasn't great news because I think the preconceived notion was that he was going to be with the team on Sunday in Miami, um, but the Mets pushed him back. They're going to give him another rehab start on Tuesday in Binghamton where they're hoping that'll be it. Um, you know, that his left oblique doesn't tighten up in the day or two after that he starts, um, you know, he'll get four or five up and downs, um, you know, probably try and push the envelope a little bit more, you know, it was three innings and 50 pitches last time. Maybe we're looking between four and five innings, maybe 75 pitches. Um, so if you can pass that test, I would assume that we could see him by the weekend, potentially, you know, maybe they're looking at Sunday. Um, but again, and Scherzer has maintained it all throughout his rehab, uh, the trickiness that comes with oblique injuries. Um, you know, this guy's such a tenacious competitor where he's going to tough out a lot of stuff. And we saw him tough out through a lot of fatigue last year with the Dodgers. Um, even he knows that this is not something to be trifled with, because if he has a setback, you're looking at another month where you're without him. Um, so I think it's good on the Mets that they practice extreme caution. It's good on Scherzer that he is taking the time to sort of slow down and, and be patient, which isn't really like him. Um, but all in all, that could mean that the Mets are getting at least one of their races back by the weekend and, and you know, decently before the all-star break. Well, it isn't, it also isn't like Scherzer. It isn't like the Mets to practice that kind of patience either. Right. And, and that goes, you know, it's just a, another sign that the culture is changing. Um, you know, we say it ad nauseum, how much the franchise has changed over the last two years with Steve Cohen at the helm. Um, even the off-field decision-making and the, the, you know, the training staff, it's good teams have the luxury of being a bit more patient. The Mets are a good team. Um, and they've been able to stay afloat despite a pitching staff that's been held together with duct tape and crazy glue. Um, so that allows Scherzer, who, again, is, is chomping at the bit to get back, um, it allows him to really make sure that he is truly 100%, not 97%, and that remaining 3% of Mets misfortune to then come in and derail things. Yeah, I would say, and I would say, obviously, we all know this, but more than staying afloat when you're when you're the number one team in the, in the NL still um, you mentioned one of their aces. So do we have a, a guess on, on DeGrom? I know there's obviously still work to be done, so we don't really know for sure when he's coming back, but I know we have a little bit more clarity on the timeline than we did maybe two weeks ago. Right. So people within the Mets organization are hoping that DeGrom will be back a couple of weeks before the August 2nd trade deadline. That puts him right around the all-star game, uh, maybe a little bit beforehand. Um, he's ramping up. He threw 20 pitches a couple of days ago uh, to live batters. He's, he's getting there. Um, it's the Grom situation. Again, as much as they were cautious about Scherzer, they have to be that much more cautious with the Grom because he hasn't faced MLB batters in a competitive live game in a calendar year now. Mm-hmm. Um, and while you're still going to expect Jake DeGrom and you are going to probably see Jake DeGrom once he gets back to the mound, uh, you still have to make sure that he is conserving himself. Um, 
So this is another thing where they're not going to let them loose until there's a thousand percent certainty, not just a hundred percent, because this after all is the franchise pitcher, regardless of having Max Scherzer in your rotation. So um, this is, this is, this is a hall of fame career that is in the process of being derailed by injuries. There's still an opportunity to save it. This is the time. And you covered this week or last week for us. Do you think the Mets can just sit and wait for these two? Do you think they have to make a move? I mean, you know, Tyler McGill was really emerging for them, and now he probably won't even pick up a baseball until the beginning of August, maybe late July. So can they just say, hey, we'll get DeGrom and Scherzer back and we'll sit on our hands with with trades? I think it's imperative that they make one more difference-making trade before the deadline. And that's not bringing in a guy that could be a fourth or a fifth starter. That's going out and making a legitimate push for a Luis Castillo, a Frankie Montas, something along those lines. Um, I think we know, and we've seen over the years, how injury plagued this team and especially this rotation has been. Um, And again, you still don't, you don't know what kind of Jacob DeGrom you're going to get back. Um, I I think we all know that he's still going to be, all-star caliber is he going to be the you know high ones low twos era jake Degrom, where he's you know striking out 14 guys per nine innings obviously that remains to be seen um but in terms of just ensuring that you have not only depth within the pitching rotation but you have quality depth where you're not asking david peterson who has performed incredibly admirable admirably um with the chance that he's given, he's had multiple chances and he's, he's ridden the carousel between triple a and the majors. Um, again, he, he pitched seven innings, gave up two runs, struck out eight on Sunday. Um, you can't ask much more of a guy who's been riding the bus all, all season. Now. Um, you can't ask much more of Trevor Williams, who was a reliever now being an opener. Um, who's again, he's done what he's asked, what he's been asked to do for the most part. So, um, instead of having to rely on wild cards, really, instead of having, okay, you know, we might have the best duo in baseball, all of a sudden, if everybody's healthy, you're talking about the most imposing foursome in baseball, where, again, I'm just piecing names together. But if right. you were to put together a healthy Jacob DeGrom, a healthy Max Scherzer, getting somebody like Frankie Montas, and then Chris Bassett as your four, that's that's pretty unbeatable um and obviously we know how far good pitching goes here so yeah and we know obviously those guys are are hot commodities as well i mean it was just reported yesterday that the the dodgers may be trying to get both of the names that you mentioned because they're the dodgers and they're gonna do that right and with uh gonzo and already over his career high innings and walker bueller out for a while um you know there's gonna be some competition there for the Mets, but I think those are absolutely some names uh, that we could see banded about. And then Christian, we have to talk about whether the Yankees need to make a move (laughs) and whether that's a trade or a demotion or what, because they keep rolling out Joey Gallo. Um, And I think it's become kind of like a running joke in New York right now about just what he's giving them or not giving them. Uh, But, you know, we, we covered this before we started recording in June. So not even just season long, but in June, he's hitting 161 with a 288 on base percentage, four home runs, but a 42.4% uh, 
strikeout rate, which is astronomical. Uh, on the season, he's hitting 173. He has a 39% strikeout rate. He has nine home runs. Uh, so, you know, he's on pace to hit what, like 19, 20 home runs, which is not what you acquired Joey Gallo to do. So if this is a team that's trying to win the World Series, can they keep running Joey Gallo out in their lineup? No. I mean, at this point, though, the problem is what do you do with Joey Gallo, right? Because I think the demotion is kind of out of the question. It'd be a little weird. A trade is kind of out of the question because I think everyone across Major League Baseball knows the value of Joey Gallo at this point. And, you know, even if there was a team or two interested, the the, the value that the Yankees are going to get back certainly isn't going to match what they'd want. Um, you know, in, in any sort of deal that they try and include him in. So the Yankees are kind of stuck in this weird scenario and, and, and they have made do with it. You know, Joey Gallo didn't play two games in this four game series, this past four game series with the Houston Astros. Um, but I, the, the question remains, what do you do with them? And, and the answer is kind of muddled because nobody really has an answer. And because the, the trade market knows that, you you, you know, if you if we want to try and go at Joey Gallo, a you look at the stats and you go, yeah, that's not a guy you really want on your roster at this point in, in your lineup. But at the same time, if there's a team like San Diego that maybe still would be somewhat, maybe even remotely interested, that the, what they'd be willing to give up um, is going to be a fraction of what the Yankees would ask for in any sort of deal, or they would they would try and get back because of you know their their team that's expected to contend for a, a World Series and they're going to want to. Uh, address certain issues and possibly look at another starter, possibly look at a reliever in the pen too. Um, you know, you're not going to be able to, to get that a, a good return with, with someone like Gallo as the sort of centerpiece for any sort of deal. So it's kind of a tough spot to be in right now. Could you, could you bench him, right? Use him as a left-handed bat off the bench, even though, I mean, you kind of put him in situations where you need the, that one swing, but I mean, you've got, I mean, let's, talk about the name that all Yankee fans are talking about, which is uh, Miguel Andujar, who's hitting 300 in AAA. Uh, he's got a 13.6% strikeout rate in AAA, but he has a 16.3% career strikeout rate across the majors, which, you know, even basic math will tell you that 16.3 much better than 39.1. Um, so is there any realistic possibility that the Yankees could just move Gallo to the bench, play Andujar in the outfield. Um, you know, they've already kind of started been doing that with, with playing a lot more Aaron Hicks. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe Gallo just sees himself, maybe starts twice a week and, and is a left-handed bat off the bench. Is that feasible? It's not out of the question. I think that right now you're not going to see it, but maybe down the line as, as, the, as the team starts to figure some things out, um, that becomes more of a realistic possibility with, with how Boone manages this, the lineup, because you, you know, you look at, like I said, you look at every, every possibility outside of just trying, trying that it, it's kind of a no win situation for anybody. So that might be the best course of action for the Yankees, but I don't foresee it happening immediately. I could see that happening down the line in a couple of weeks as um, you know, things become a little bit more clear, but I don't think it's out of the, out of the realm of possibilities. Let's float one more idea. Gallo's in the last year of his contract. Is there any chance that they just cut him at some point and just eat the remainder of the salary just to get him off the team? I don't, I don't see that happening at the moment. Uh, ask me again in two months and we'll see where we're at, but I don't, I don't think that's, that's in their, in their thought process at the moment. Two more months thought, of a 40% strikeout rate. I thought you were going to say that maybe they try and trade him to the Mets or something like that. Something really crazy. Let's get, let's get weird. 
yeah, the Mets, listen, we did already covered the Mets are a, a better run organization now. They're not making that move. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, anything's possible sometimes. Still, it's still, it's funny to even imagine that. But, but yeah, no, I don't, I don't foresee them right now cutting, cutting Gallo. Yeah, you couldn't even trade him to like a tanking team that wants to get fans in the seats because yeah. you know nobody's nobody's coming to Oakland to watch uh, Joey Gallo. So no. I mean, no one's going to Oakland to watch baseball in general. So yeah, I still can't believe you said that sentence that the Mets are a better run organization than the Yankees. <laughs> no, I said they're Not, a better yeah. run organization than they than they were. Then they okay, they, that's better. They were. I was going to yes. say in the year of our lord 2022 <laughs> no. we are just saying we are but saying I'm, things here yeah right no, but that, you would never you would never that, have imagined us saying that the mets and the yankees were two of the top teams in baseball and, and so sure. i mean right now new york is is running running the league at this point so it's, it's pretty incredible to see yeah I, I and they and the mets have become a fine run organization i was going to say good or well run but i think it's at least at least passable right now Baby steps. Yeah. Baby steps. Um, Christian, we got to – and actually, Joe, I'll bring you in on this one too because I think that everybody has kind of said all year, like, based on the way he's playing, Aaron Judge is the AL MVP, right? He's hitting mm-hmm. 294, 28 home runs, 59 runs scored, 56 RBI. He's got a ridiculous 1,013 OPS. He's got five stolen bases. That seems – like a locked-in AL MVP. But how do we vote Judge over Shohei Otani when Otani is hitting 260 with 16 home runs, 45 runs, 47 RBIs, seven stolen bases, but also pitching six wins, 290 ERA, 1.01 whip, 27.1 strikeout minus walk ratio, He's a borderline Cy Young candidate as a pitcher, but then also hitting 260 with 16 home runs and seven stolen bases as a hitter. Is Aaron Judge still the surefire MVP? This is, <laughs> this is such a difficult question because, again, I mean, again, Aaron Judge is having an incredible season. He's going to be flirting with 60 home runs in a few months. Um it, it can't be overstated not only how much he's doing for the Yankees, but how much he's doing for himself in the future for this contract. Mm. That being said, we haven't seen what we are seeing from Shohei Otani in a hundred years. Um, and, and I know he did it last year. And I, I think it's a question of when will the novelty wear off? Sure. Um, for me, it hasn't worn off yet. Are those numbers good enough to win MVP? I mean, the pitching, yeah, the, the, the pitching numbers, I think, absolutely. And he's having a great year offensively, too. I don't, I don't know. I mean, when you combine the two, like, yes, obviously, <laughs> like he's a he's a top AL pitcher and he's putting above average offensive numbers up at the same time on a regular basis. Like, that's incredible. This is whatever cliche you want to call it. It's it's a unicorn. We we just don't we don't see it. Is that enough to get past the sheer brawn and star power that comes with Aaron Judge in the Bronx for the Yankees, leading a team that is the best in baseball? Not just, okay, Shohei Otani is doing this, and the Angels are probably going to miss the playoffs again. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's going to have a lot to do with it as well. 
If the Angels are in the thick of it in October, I think the race is a little bit closer. Um, but if the Yankees are, you know, just blowing the doors off people like they have been, um, it's it's pretty hard not to vote for Judge because at times, and Christian, you can disagree with me, um, it feels like he's been single-handedly putting this team on his back and carrying them uh, to some of these wins. Well, I think I think the it's 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 such a tough conversation to have because I think when you look at Judge too, you have to understand he he's the guy you want in those big moments, sure. But to get to those moments too, there's a lot of other other things that kind of go into it. You look at yesterday's game, for example, the Yankees have Houston with three runners on. And I think it won on zero or one out. And I forget who was on the mound at that point, but they had a reliever on and they managed to get out of the inning unscathed. That is a huge moment that you kind of forget happens because Aaron Judge hits a home run. I, I think the difference between this two, and while I think Judge is, is you're like 1B AL MVP, Otani kind of takes it for me because I think if you put him, uh, if you take him off that roster, I think Anaheim is significantly worse and maybe you're not even talking about them or Los Angeles, excuse me. Uh, sorry. I slipped the tongue in. Um, okay. We, everybody knows what you mean. Cause it's really Anaheim. Yeah. Um, but they are not even, there's a chance you could say that they're not even a playoff team without Otani on that roster as well. The Yankees, you could see them still being a playoff team, even if Aaron judge is not on the roster or not in the lineup, they're still a team that has a lot of bats. They have a lot of star power. Um, you know, they have the, the, the pitching and the fielding to, to do some big things, which we've seen so far, the angels don't necessarily match up with that. And to me too, when it comes to most valuable player, and I think people have this argument in, in when we were, when I was covering hockey and, and other sports, to me, part of it is that what when we consider most valuable player, why is this guy the most valuable to his team? And he, Otani, by far is is more valuable to the Angels as a singular player than judges to the Yankees. Judge is still a, a superstar and, and the face of the franchise and a lot of all these off-field things. But when it comes to strictly the play on the field, the Yankees can still survive in a in a in a, a world where Aaron Judge isn't in the Bronx. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, too, because I do think that too often people make the argument that the MVP needs to be on like a playoff team. And I just I personally just don't see that as a reality, like the best player in the league, the most valuable player to his team does not have to play for the best team. Right. If everybody else on the team makes his job easier, which is not again, not to diminish at all what Aaron Judge is doing, which has been tremendous, but you know, when you're in a lineup full of good hitters, and this is just a general comment, when you're in a lineup full of good hitters, it's harder to pitch around you. When you're in mm -hmm. a lineup that doesn't have that type of protection, it's harder to put up those kind of numbers. And again, that's a generality. I'm not saying that that is to diminish judges' results. Um, and then you have just the, the freak nature of doing the offense and uh, pitching thing, which to Joe's point, at some point, we're not going to be able to keep rewarding Otani for for that because he'll win the MVP every single year because he's essentially two players wrapped in one um but it really is I don't think that we all fully appreciate what we're seeing um and you know Joe mentioned it's been about a hundred years but even like looking at it like I looked the other day Babe Ruth's highest career high strikeouts in a season as a pitcher 
he struck out 172 batters. He needed 323 innings pitched to strike out 172 batters. Also, Babe Ruth stopped pitching when he was 24 years old in 1919. He played like 14 more years. So Babe Ruth really only pitched and hit for five years of his Major League Baseball career. And I think we have this idea that he was doing both, like that's who he was. He didn't do it for his whole career. Um, And who knows what's going to happen with the rest of Shohei Otani's career. But it's just to put in perspective, like what we're seeing is really something that we haven't seen at this level, maybe ever, except for maybe one year of Babe Ruth. And again, you're talking about Babe, you're talking about Babe Ruth. Um, so it is pretty insane. And, you know, I do think it, you know, the AL MVP, barring anything drastic, is going to come down to these two guys. Uh, listen, Vlad hit, had hit for the Triple Crown last year and didn't beat Otani. Um, so if you're going to do that and not beat Otani, I mean, Judge hitting 60 home runs, you it might not be enough. Right. Who knows? Um, Joe, we were talking about trading Gallo before. Uh, and we talked a little bit about some Mets trades earlier, but we just saw Adam Adovino give up a walk-off home run yesterday. Uh, despite Mets fans, you know, kind of like bemoaning Adam Adovino, uh, and I understand that in some big moments he has not pitched particularly well, um, he's actually pitching fine on the year. Um, and I guess my question to you, with Drew Smith kind of also emerging as a solid reliever with um, Edwin Diaz really locking down the ninth, do the Mets need a better bridge to Edwin Diaz or can they get by with this bullpen into the playoffs? I think it's something that is worth exploring. Um, And, and again, I, I think that true bridge is still a bit of a question mark because you have guys there whether it's Adovino or Joely Rodriguez or Seth Lugo, who haven't necessarily been able to consistently hold down that responsibility. And, and really, which I think a lot of people are forgetting, is that this job opening came about because Trevor May is injured. Mm-hmm. Um, Trevor May started the season, looked like a shell of himself, um, really struggled, and then he finally came, you know, he, he came out, when he was speaking to us uh, I, uh, a month or two ago in the locker room where he was just like, I have no confidence pitching. I, my arm is just not there. I'm hurt. Something's wrong. I don't know what it is. The hope from the Mets and May himself um, is that he'll be back sometime in July where, okay, he's, you know, his arms at a hundred percent and it's potentially his job to lose. That being said, I think exploring the idea of talking to a David Robertson, uh, Trevor Rosenthal, and Andrew Chafin, I mean, it's it's there. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I think the Mets are at least entertaining the idea of inquiring about them. Because I don't think they're satisfied in... Um, what they what they currently have. And again, even when Trevor May was 100% healthy with the Mets, was he that guy? If you look at the numbers, maybe not. Um, right. So 
really, I, I think it's, you know, it's one thing to do this and have that responsibility when you're playing in Minnesota and you're in a weak AL central and um, you know, the, it's, it's cliche. And I think it's, it's kind of a tired narrative, but when the spotlight's on you here um, and, and there's a lot more pressure and you're in the NL East and you're playing for a franchise that, like you kind of said, bemoans every little thing, especially for somebody as connected on social media and, and everything as, as Trevor May, who, you know, he makes right, sure right. He, he lets you know, he reads all the comments. Um, it's something to at least think about. Um, sure. I, do I think Trevor May could be the guy? 100%. I think Trevor May absolutely could, but for good teams, they don't rest on their laurels and say, well, when he comes back, we'll just assume that everything's going to be fine. So insurance might be necessary, at least in this situation. Yeah. And you mentioned two of the names that, you know, we're going to have an article looking at some of the potential trade candidates uh, that the Mets could go after if they do make a bullpen move. Uh, you already mentioned two of the names that will be in that article, which is, you know, David Robertson and then Andrew Chafin, who we know the Mets actually tried to sign um, or at least were in negotiations with or were kicking the can on in the offseason and, and didn't get him, uh, but could be a great left-handed pitching addition to that bullpen. Uh, so that's a, an article you should definitely check out on, on AM New York Sports, uh, which will be coming out uh, this afternoon on Monday. Um we did have some big NL East developments this weekend, though, Joe, when Bryce Harper fractured his thumb. Um, and the timeline appears to be anywhere from like two months to 10 weeks. Uh, Ozzy Albee, as we know, is out for a while for the Braves, but the Braves have still been playing pretty well without him. Is the NL East now with this Bryce Harper injury basically a two-horse race? I mean, this division is the Mets to have at this point. Uh, there's, there's just, there's no denying it. Um, given the lead that they had, uh, you know, last month, they led by, by as much as 10 and a half, 11 games down to five now. Um, but you had the Braves just playing ridiculously stellar baseball where they won how, what was it? 13 straight games mm -hmm. since that streak, they're five and five. They've come back down to earth. They're, they're without Ozzy Albies they're without Ronald Acuna Jr. Now, um, yeah, and that's still we think that's technically day to day, but might yes. need an IL stint. Right. Um, so I, I would say I, I'm not right. Well, I shouldn't say that. The the Braves are yes, they're the number two team in the NL East right now, hundred percent. The Mets, of course, need to be wary of them. The Phillies still have the offense without Bryce Harper. Um, they they still which, whether it's Hoskins or Castellanos or Schwarber they still shouldn't be desperate for it. The pitching and the defense has always been the crux of the Phillies, and that's ultimately going to lead to their downfall. It doesn't matter if Bryce Harper's in or out. It just makes the job that much tougher for a team that should be a third-place team. Um, so I would probably agree with the sentiment that it is a two-horse race between the Mets and the Braves. But, again, then the Phillies came out yesterday and beat the Padres 8-5. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, go figure. Um Baseball is a pretty hard game to predict, even though, you know, all the numbers and stats are right there before us. Um, right. But I, I would agree with that sentiment that it's, yeah, it's New York and Atlanta right now. And Christian, is it a one horse race in the AL East? 
<laughs> I mean, the, the Red Sox have been playing very good baseball of late. Uh, they swept both the Tigers and, and the Guardians. But, but again, it's the Tigers and the Guardians. <laughs> um, and the Red Sox are still, despite playing really well and moving up to second in the AL East, 11 games behind the Yankees. Uh, Wander Franco is back now for the Rays. They're going to get Brandon Lau back um, maybe sometime later this week or, or in the coming weeks. Uh, so we might see the Tampa Bay Rays of, of old coming back. But is there is there really a team in the AL East that the Yankees need to be worried about? I mean, I'm, there's no team that overly concerns me. And that's not to say that there aren't good teams in the AL East. But when you look at the way the Yankees have been playing this year, and that's even taking into consideration the fact that you're going to see them at some point start to lose a few games in a row. You know, it's been very rare so far um, early here and, you know, before the All-Star, All-Star break and all that. But um, you know, even when this team kind of starts to find some, you know, they start to show that they are human a little bit. I, I still don't think that there's an, enough of a challenger right now in the AL East that presents uh, any anyone that could that should overly concern Yankee fans or, or the Yankees. You know, I think this is their division to win, and it would really take up some sort of Mets-like collapse for them to to lose lose that lead that they have uh, at this point. Even even this early in the season, it, it just seems really hard to fathom. Yeah. Um... And also, if the season, I was going to say, you said Mets collapse. I was also thinking of that Red Sox collapse. Mm, I think yes. it was like what in uh, like 2011, where they had like a they had a nine game lead in September and didn't make the playoffs. Um, so it would be it would be that type of collapse. yes. Um, it would take it. It would take an epic collapse. I shouldn't yeah. I shouldn't sound like I'm taking a shot at any particular team, but it, I'm not trying to. But it would take an epic collapse of uh, for this team to kind of fall out of that lead that they have in the AL East at the moment. Yeah. It's okay. You take a shot at the Mets. That we, we get that rivalry brewing. Let's we build to the Subway Series. We got it. We got to <laughs> we got to create that that dramatic tension. Um, yeah, and if the season listen, if the season ended today, four AL East teams would make the playoffs. Um, you'd have the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Rays, and the Blue Jays all qualifying because nobody except for the division leaders in the AL Central and the AL West are currently better than them. Um, and I gotta say, like. I think that that may be the way it ends up. I, I don't really buy this Guardians team pushing for the playoffs. I could see the White Sox getting healthy, getting all their bats back in the summer and pushing, you know, one of the Rays, Jays or Red Sox. But yeah, it might be full AL East here. Well, not full, even though Baltimore has been better. Um, <laughs> I want to end uh, by just talking about Wimbledon for a second. Wimbledon has started today. Um, and Serena Williams is back. Um, Serena Williams, uh, hasn't played since, uh, getting injured, slipping on a wet patch of grass, uh, at Wimbledon last year. But I just, I don't think that we're talking enough about what Serena Williams is, is doing. And obviously we'll see how she does in Wimbledon. Uh, but Serena's making this pseudo comeback after a year off at 40 years old. We're making such a big deal out of, you know, what Novak Djokovic and, and Rafael Nadal are doing in the quote unquote late stages of their career. When Nadal is 36, Djokovic is 35. Um, and, you know, sure, they've won their fair share of championships, not nearly as much as Serena Williams has. So, Joe, are, are we kind of this uh, almost goes back to the Otani thing, but are we like not? actually appreciating enough of what we're seeing from 
the career of Serena Williams right now? You could you could appreciate it, and we could we could we could have a whole hour and a half podcast episode dedicated to Serena Williams, and we still wouldn't be appreciating it enough. Um, what she has done just throughout her career, obviously, and she's chasing this Grand Slam title. Um, she's going for twenty four. I mean, that in itself is is amazing. The fact that she's forty years old and she's coming back from a torn hand, hamstring is incredible. And then we need to go on top of the fact that she nearly died giving birth four years ago Um, and going through such a traumatic experience and being able to come back and, and no, we're, we're, we're not talking about it enough and we should be talking about it enough. And that opens up an entire can of worms of how we don't talk about women's sports enough. Um, but not only is what Serena Williams doing, you know, it, it's, it's indescribable. Um, I'm usually at a loss for words when I do try to think about it, but we are talking about the top five greatest athlete of, of this generation, um, where she belongs on the pantheon of the very, very best of the best of individual athletes of all time, where you want to put whatever you want to put up Michael Jordan. Great. You want to put up Wayne Gretzky. Great. You want to put up Muhammad Ali. Awesome. Serena Williams not only deserves to be there, but she should be at the very forefront of that pack. And um, just, just getting back to Wimbledon um, because the, the last four years she's had, um, that's such an impressive feat in itself. And the fact that she will probably make a run here, uh, maybe I'm sounding a little bit too confident. Um, Just enjoy the ride, guys. Uh, You know, how many more times are we going to see this? Right. And you, I mean, you're sounding a little confident, but she, she got a pretty nice draw for being a wild card. She doesn't really face anybody who is uh, potentially dangerous until the third round when she faces Pliskova, who's eight and nine overall this year. So isn't really playing her best tennis. Um, So there's definitely a chance that we're going to see Serena make a run. I mean, you look at her numbers, she's 365 and 54 in her career in grand slams overall, uh, which is just in grand slam tournaments, not just in all tournaments. It's, it's stupid. Um, it's ridiculous, but yeah, I mean, you know, on poor, uh, Harmony Tan who went into Wimbledon as a qualifier and gets the 411th ranked player in tennis, except that the 411th ranked player in tennis right now is Serena Williams. Um, which is not exactly what you're hoping for in your first round Wimbledon draw. Um, Serena will play on Tuesday. Uh, they've yet to announce, the the times for that yet um i imagine that they're going to schedule that game thinking of uh what time it would be in the united states um i don't think that they're going to put serena on in the early matches which are at 5 a.m in the u.s uh but just something for people to keep an eye on uh is that you know you might wake up on tuesday morning um you know nine o'clock ten o'clock and find uh, serena williams on espn uh so that's something something to keep an eye on right now um 
we are going to get out of here. But actually, before we do, uh, Joe, Christian, just tell people where they can find you on, on Twitter. You guys both do really great work covering the Mets and the Yankees. So, so if people do not follow you, uh, they should so that they can check out all of your stuff. So where can they where can they reach you? Um, you can follow me on Twitter. Very easy at Joe Pantorno. It's just my name. No spaces. You know, come for the sports. Stay for the SpongeBob and Rush references. Uh, yeah, you can follow me. I think it's at C underscore Arnold zero one is my Twitter handle. Uh, and it's and there's not a lot of SpongeBob or Rush references. So if you're looking for that, go to Joe. But there's some interesting uh, food takes. Uh, uh, talk- hot dogs, specifically about hot dogs. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a ketchup on hot dogs guy. I was gonna talk to you about it the last time. You you had a <laughs> hot dog looked perfect with the mustard. I didn't really think you were missing much. You know, needed ketchup. I don't. Hey, I don't usually use mustard. There was no there's no ketchup in the press mm. box at that specific time, so I was a little disappointed. Um, but I'm also all about the wave as well in baseball. Bring back. We need more waves yeah. in baseball. This, yeah, that's. This guy comes that, with the most ridiculous takes. I know, that's, that, that may not get him back on the podcast for a while. Waves uh, and in-stadium proposals. But let me, let, me, proposals. let me tell you, this Christian has been getting dragged for years about his hot dog setup by members of the NHL media. Shout out Good. Brian Compton, Arthur Staple. And it's only hard hardened my position on ketchup over mustard any day. I, I will say it's an interesting hill to die on, but I respect <laughs> you for digging your heels in and just – just sticking with it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a I'm a mustard and kraut guy. Oh yeah. That makes for a great hot dog. Yeah. Uh you can follow me on Twitter at Samsky NYC. Um, I do a lot of the betting content here for AM New York Sports. You can find my uh, MLB picks every single day. Um, I will link out to those on Twitter. So you can well, sometimes not on Saturdays. Uh, there won't be an article at least, but I'll post my picks. Um, so you can follow me there. You can keep checking us out twice a week. Uh, on AM New York Rush Sports, giving you all the New York sports uh, and national sports takes here. Uh, And we will catch you middle of the week for some NBA free agency discussions.